Hi, everybody. Welcome to another PR Masters podcast series, where you get to hear the stories and wisdom of our industry's most successful leaders and legends. I'm Mark Stevens, your host, and I'm pleased to report that today's guest is number 74 in our four-year-long podcast series. That's amazing. We have so many distinguished people in our industry, and our guest today is certainly not an exception to that. She is one of the truly magnetic figures, having been on both the corporate and the agency side. And I'm talking about Valerie Di Maria, somebody I've known since the days when she was on the agency side and as well as the corporate side. Well, a little bit about Valerie, and then we're getting our conversation going. Previously, Valerie was Corporate VP of Communications and Public Affairs for Motorola. And prior to Motorola, she was VP of Corporate PR and Advertising at GE Capital. And on the agency side, she was president of the New York headquarters of Gray Advertising's worldwide public relations agency, GCI, and vice chairman of the GCI Group. And at GCI, she managed corporate and marketing work for CBS, IBM, Pfizer, M&M Mars, 3M, and the International Olympics Committee. Her corporate roles included SVP, CMO, for Willis Group Holdings, the global insurance broker. Di Maria led worldwide marketing, brand and reputation management, executive communications, media relations, employee communications, government affairs, community relations, corporate philanthropy, and events. Valerie has earned recognition, and rightfully so, as a communications and market leader and executive coach in both the corporate and agency worlds. She's held CMO, CCL roles at Fortune 100 companies, and she's developed comprehensive corporate reputation and brand-building programs working closely with CEOs at GE Capital, Motorola, and Willis. She is currently the founder and principal of the 10 Company, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, of course, which is a strategic consultancy launched in January 2012, and is dedicated to helping C-suite executives transform their businesses through authentic, results-driven marketing and communications. And her clients, as usual, only blue chips, her clients have included Alcoa, Amgen, Bank of America, BBC, Cardinal Health, Fannie Mae, KPMG, New York Life, Quest Diagnostics, Raytheon, and so on and so on. So it is my pleasure, everyone, to welcome truly an industry legend, Valerie Di Maria. Valerie, how are you today? I'm doing great, Art, especially after that lovely introduction. Thank you so much. And <laughs> well, you merit it. You merit it. You know, you, you, our paths have crossed a number of times in the industry, and you have always been recognized as being a leader. And so I'm delighted to have this discussion with you today. So, Valerie, we're going to get going. Generally, my very first question for our guests is typically the following, and that is, how did you get into public relations to begin with? Well, it seems that most people fall into PR by accident, but I am the exception. For me, it was purposeful, and it started back in high school, believe it or not. I attended a career day at my school, and there was a woman who ran a local public relations agency who came to speak. And I was intrigued by the combination of business, strategic, and creative skills and thought, that sounds like something for me. Well, what do you know? And uh, what were among the first tasks you were involved with in getting into public relations? 
Well, I was very purposeful about it. So I looked at colleges that had career paths and curriculum about public relations. So I started at USC as a journalism major with a public relations concentration. And then because I'm a natural New Yorker, I moved back to the East Coast and went to NYU, and that's where I finished my degree. But same thing, journalism major with a public relations concentration and did internships at Reuter and Finn while I was in college. So really started pretty early on. Wow. Wow. So what was the nature of the first job you got paid for after internships and and so on? What did they have you do? The first job was in the fashion industry on 7th Avenue, working for a French couture knitwear house that doesn't exist anymore doing their marketing and public relations. I remember calling up Women's Wear Daily, trying to get them to come and review our line, as well as Mm -hmm. uh, doing sales work. So, Valerie, you know, you've been on the corporate side. You have top-level jobs there. You were president of a significant agency. And then you started, uh, along the way, you started the tent company about 13 years ago. So what led you to make this move, and where are you at in terms of what you want to accomplish professionally? Yeah. So as you say, Art, I started in the agency world, and then I moved to the corporate side. And it was really my experience in-house that motivated me to start my own firm. I wanted to bring everything I learned from sitting in the C-suite at these major companies like GE and Motorola and Willis to help clients. At the time, in particular, there weren't many agencies run by comms leaders with corporate C-suite experience. So I really try and put myself in my clients' shoes. And we purposely built a, I think, very strong boutique agency, and we're going to kind of continue on that path. So this is uh, an extension of what you obviously did at, at both the, the previous agencies you were you led, as well as the top corporate communications jobs that you held. What do you think you learned that you were uniquely able to give to the clients you presently have? I think when you are in-house, and you really see the day-to-day dynamics of how a company is run and how the decisions get made at the CEO level, you are better able to advise clients on the direction they should take, but also how they can sell it in. Because I think it is different when you you have the perspective of being on the ground, if you will, every day, as opposed to looking through the window when you're just the consultant. And I'll just give you a a kind of a funny example. This is way back when. And I was at GE Capital, and we were looking for an agency to promote our insurance products. They were products. And one of the agencies that came to pitch to us suggested that Jack Welsh go on a media tour to to talk about our insurance products. Now, to go to Jack Welsh as CEO, and and at the time, he was one of the most respected CEOs, to do a media tour to talk product was definitely not, you know, that was never going to be in the cards. So they they didn't really bring the sophistication of what it's like to be in-house to the table. Wow. <laughs> in line with that, Valerie, you obviously were one of the early uh, CEOs of a top agency in the country. How did you get to be that? Yeah, I would say... I was always very ambitious and determined, and I think what helped me the most was I'm a risk taker. So I always asked for 
new assignments or promotions for the next opportunity. It's interesting. There's a study that shows that women don't ask for promotions or new opportunities unless they feel they have 100% of the qualifications, that they check hmm. all the boxes, where men, most men anyway, or that's not the way they operate. So I think just having confidence, working hard, of course, but kind of raising your hand and asking for the next step is really what led me up the path, I would say. Well, you know, you've been on both the agency and the corporate side. I'll ask this as simply as I can. Did you like either better than the other? <laughs> as we used to say at GE, everything has its pluses and its deltas. So uh, what I love on the corporate side is, is like kind of alluded to before, you really, really understand the business, the strategies, the culture in a, in a deep way because you're living and breathing it every single day. So I think that part I really loved. However, on the agency side, what I love about it is you can be more objective and learn and bring best practices from a range of companies and industries. And so sometimes being the outside objective voice can have more impact. So I can see benefits on both sides. So what's it like working with CEOs from either the corporate side or the agency side? Obviously, on the corporate side, you probably, in many instances, reported directly to the CEO. And on the agency side, you know, given your level of uh, responsibility within the agency, you probably also dealt with the CEO. How is it approaching the CEO from either the corporate side or the agency side? Does it differ? Uh, I would say it doesn't really differ. I mean, you really need to understand what their priorities are and what their business goals are and how you can, you know, help them both individually. Sometimes it was helping them individually get through a crisis or something they were dealing with. And other times it's obviously more about the company as a whole. So I think being strategic and not always being too tactical is very important, but also being able to produce results. So here's, I always like to go in with a plan you know, here's what we think the best approach is, here's what we're actually going to do, but also listen. As you probably know, most CEOs have a strong point of view about things. And so listening and incorporating what they need into what you want to do is very important. Well, I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that your present consultancy may be somewhat smaller than, say, GCI was. And if so, how do you compare a large agency life with a much smaller consultancy? Yeah, we'd like to say we're a boutique as opposed to being small. We're, we're very resourceful and we're able to work really well with clients. I would say the difference between a, a really large agency uh, and a smaller agency is, well, we can be master of our own faith. We don't have to spend a lot of time in what sometimes can be bureaucratic meetings and doing a lot of reports, uh, we really can pick and choose the clients that we work for. And quite honestly, we have turned down business because we didn't think it would be a good fit for us for one reason or another. But ultimately, what I like about the smaller version of a consultancy is we're very hands-on with our clients. Mm -hmm. So I have a partner, Claire Nicola. She and I started the business together. 
and all of our clients get one of us at least to really work on their business both strategically and hands-on. So not turned over to a junior team and you never see the principals again. Yes, that's where I remember a lot about being on the the big agency side. Not that big agencies have advantages too. I mean, we're not going to do a a global program. We're more, even though I know a lot about working globally, we're more focused on U.S. and global strategy, not global execution. So there are advantages for big agencies in many ways. But I did find, especially when I was on the client side and, you know, working with agencies as as a client, you know, the senior team, the A team would come in and pitch you and then they would leave and you would never see those people again. So (laughs) we we don't do the bait and switch. We are very transparent and we we actually love doing the actual work. Well, that that certainly makes a big difference, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, you were one of, uh, I mentioned this earlier, that you were one of the early women presidents of a large agency. What was the uh, the playing field like when you were given the responsibility of being the president of, uh, and CEO of GCI? What were the internal dynamics? Uh, you know, were Was there a jealousy on the part of some of your colleagues and peers that you got the job and, and they didn't? What was it like when you ascended to the throne? <laughs> throne, that's an interesting choice of words. I would like to think there wasn't jealousy. I mean, I had, you know, put in my dues. I had paid my dues. I had worked really hard. I was very good at getting results. I can tell you when I resigned from GCI and they had a big staff meeting in New York, I was shocked but very touched that people cried when I left. So I don't know how many people were uh, upset that I had gotten the job to begin with. Uh, You know, I tend to come with a positive attitude maybe sometimes too much so. You know, we were in this together. I'm very collaborative. I feel I'm very upbeat. So I'm ho- I don't want to be naive about it. I'm sure some people harbored some whatever, but, you know, I don't focus on that. I focus on the positives. Yeah. So what was it like back in the day of being one of the few women presidents of an agency? And, uh, how do you see the landscape now? Did you feel that it was inevitable? Are you pleasantly surprised that more women are, are climbing up the agency ladder you know, to assume presidency? More capable women are starting their own agencies? There seems to be obviously a lot more women in the driver's seat than perhaps when you were president of, or CEO of, of GCI. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting question. I don't have the statistics. I'm not so sure there are so many female presidents and CEOs of the major global agencies. I don't know if the numbers have moved that much uh, in that regard. I think there are definitely more independent agencies started by women because we've followed what has been the trend uh, in business in general is that women leave big corporations because of frustrations to start their own businesses. They'd rather be entrepreneurs then deal with the internal politics. So I don't know. My biggest issue about diversity at the top is not even within the communications function. It's within business in general. Because what I find is that corporations can check the box, and I don't mean that necessarily in an insincere way, by putting diverse candidates and women in the lead in the functions, you know, head of HR, head of communications, head of legal, but we still have a long way to go where the real power is, and that's in the P&L roles. So mm-hmm. I would love to see uh, the business world in general make a better effort to put women in the 
top spots of not just CEOs of companies, but in you know running businesses and being the P&L leaders. I think that's yeah. where there's room for a lot of improvement. I will just close out this segment by saying we've been talking about these issues. You've talked about how we've been around a while in the industry. You know, it's sad to me that it's now the year 2023, and we're even still having these conversations. Mm-hmm. Well, interesting point, you know, and a very valid one as well, which mm-hmm. which leads to the subject of diversity. Obviously, uh, in addition to the role of women, you know, in the business community yep. and PR marketplace. But uh, what's your sense of uh, where diversity is, and uh, what is your comment on the current, you know, business landscape? Yeah, we, again, we have a we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. You know, I'm very active in the Page Society, and I've worked on their and ran their diversity committee, and I've been involved in other organizations that have the similar mission. People of color are not are maybe being attracted to the industry more, but we definitely are not doing a good job of keeping them in the industry and elevating them to leadership roles. So there's been a lot of debate about what's most effective. I think. A range of things from education early on and attracting talent out of schools to mentorship across the board to then being more sensitive to when somebody is in the role, are we treating them differently? Because we really shouldn't. I mean, I see so much to do with what we call micro inequities, which are the more subtle cultural difficulties that people who don't look like me, you know, have to face in the corporate world. Hmm. No, well put. Valerie, how has public relations itself changed since you got into it, and what do you envision to be its future? Well, it's changed a lot, I would say, Art. I I would assume you agree with me. When I started, PR seemed to be mostly about media relations and crisis communications, and boy, have we expanded that tremendously. I mean, while those media and crisis certainly are important things to to think about and to execute, we've really expanded the definition into change management, employee engagement, social purpose, and so much more. Needless to say, but I'll say it, the impact of technology continues yeah. to be astronomical. I, when I started, there was no such thing as the World Wide Web. Isn't that scary to think about? And now <laughs> we're dealing with how AI is going to impact what we do. So right. technology and just having a, a bigger strategic business approach to what we do, I think, are the two biggest changes. Yeah. You know, you're, you're obviously a very successful entrepreneur because you started your own company with a partner. You obviously manage successful enterprises. How much of a factor has understanding how business is done contributed to your success as a leader in the industry? Yeah, it's been very important. I would say my time at GE as well as my time at Motorola and Willis, was an education in how to run a business. I'd like to think that my time at GE was like getting a practical MBA. So you really learn a lot about profitability, productivity, M&A. When I was at GE, you know, I was part of the deal team a lot of the time. And my time at GE Capital, we did 120 acquisitions in seven years. So, you know, you learn a lot about what works and what doesn't work with M&A. And I'm not just talking from a communication point of view. So so I felt like that really serious 
company side experience is very helpful in leading something. Also, I said I'm a risk taker, so it was very interesting to start a business. I had not done that before. So we had to figure out things like how do you do payroll and <laughs> and well, you know, obviously the important things like what our brand was going to be and what we were going to stand for, but then all the mechanics of running a company, you know, billing, accounting. It's, it was it was actually very interesting to me. You know, legally we had a as I mentioned I have a partner and I'd love to talk a little bit more about Claire. You know, we have a partnership agreement that we made when we first started the company because we wanted to do everything totally professionally. Didn't really know what the elements of that should be. So it was all a learning experience, but it was really, I found it really interesting. Well, you should have asked me, Valerie, when I merged my firm with that of Amelia Lopesense to form Lopesense Stevens. I would have had all the answers for you on what to look for in a partnership agreement, but that's all in the past. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, a lot of people know what, how not to do it, maybe instead of how to do it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah it's, uh, it was really, it was, a, it was a fascinating experience to start a company from scratch. It was, it was really very, I found it very interesting. Uh, somebody once said of me that I just love the business of doing business, and in a way that's true. You know, you volunteer a lot of your time to other organizations and causes. For example, which I did mention when I introduced you earlier, you know, you've been an advocate for the public relations profession, and you, you were instrumental in starting the PR Council, which is the industry's trade association, and you were a member of its client advisory board. You're a member and former trustee of the Page Society, the preeminent organization for corporate communications officers. And you co-led the task force that produced Pages, the Authentic Enterprise, which to our listeners uh, is a definitive report on the evolving role of communications and its strategic importance to CEOs and reputation. But I'll go on as well. You also served on the advisory board for the Library of the Performing Arts at Lincoln Center, and you're a member of the Wise Men, and you're a former board member of British American Business. How do you find time to do all that? Well, I don't all do it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I do commit to something, people who know me, so I will definitely deliver on what I commit to. Uh, I will just I'll give a couple of examples. So I am very passionate about the Page Society, and I had, was a trustee, as you noted, for many years, and I've run yeah. many of their committees. And for me, in, just on the industry side of the equation, it's just really important to give back. You know, you get to a certain point, and it's great to do something for the profession, which is why working on the authentic enterprise with John Awada, somebody I greatly admire in the industry, I worked with him on that. It was such a privilege to do that and to try and introduce new thinking uh, to the communications function. So I benefit so much from working with others in the profession and getting to know my peers better in addition to giving back. As a female leader, it's really important for me to help others. So I do a lot of coaching of other women, both in terms of an offering from our company, but also individually mentoring women at different stages of their career. So I feel like that's really important. And I also am passionate about a lot of things that aren't, you know, PR focused. So I am very passionate about theater, which is how I got involved with the advisory board for the New York Library for the Performing Arts. So if it fuels what you're really interested in, I think that's a great thing. And also having some non-communication-specific perspective is helpful. Well, let me extend that, that last thing you say. Uh, you know, you talked about your love of theater, and, and that's why you got involved. What are some of the other areas you're involved with, and what are some of your hobbies? 
you don't have a lot of spare time, you know, but what are some of your other interests? Well, in addition to theater, I am a big theater person. I go probably several times a month to, like, that's why I love living in New York. You know, you have Broadway, off-Broadway, and off-off-Broadway. So yeah. all of that is fab. Um, I'm actually a really passionate cook. I love to cook. Oh. I took uh, the chef boot camp at the Culinary Institute of America, and whenever I travel, I try and take a cooking class. So I've taken cook- cooking classes in Hanoi and in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I love to cook for family and friends. So that's a big area of interest for me. So switching subjects for a moment, what are you doing now at, at the tent company that you didn't do before? Have you gotten into new areas? Uh, I would say maybe not new areas because, you know, when you are the CCO or CMO of a major global company, you really do do it all. I mean, you touch on every area, communications-wise and business-wise. But I would say with our firm, our positioning, as you mentioned in the intro, is on the C-suite. And so whatever the C-suite needs, we can provide. I don't mean that uh, facetiously, but it's about what's going to advance the business. So we do the full spectrum of marketing and communications work. We usually say three big areas. One is external communication. So, yes, media relations, thought leadership, social media, crisis. Number two, employee engagement, both strategy and execution. And then the third area, which I particularly am excited about, is our executive coaching work. So while I did that internally at, in corporations, it's now much more of a practice area for us that we've developed. So we have all kinds of curriculum to help leaders be better communicators, to be better presenters, to really enhance their leadership skills overall. And we have a program that we've branded called Voices, and that's executive coaching for women by women since we're a female-owned firm. And we do just a range of different types of workshops and one-on-one coaching as well as for groups. One of our offerings is how to be a better risk taker. I talked about being a risk taker myself earlier in my career. It's how do you help women get to that next stage or just do better in what they're currently doing by not being afraid of failure. Interesting. Given all that, what do you consider your style of management to be? Uh, I like to think of myself as a transformational leader, you know, someone who gains the trust and respect of others who want to follow them. You may know there's the four I's of transformational leadership is individualized consideration, intellectual stimulation, inspirational motivation, and idealized influence. But in short, it's about not being satisfied with the status quo and using coaching and encouragement to empower individuals and teams to get the job done. Do you see any uh, new and emerging disciplines that could become part of the public relations process going forward? I would say, I'm not sure if it's new, maybe better interpretations. We've talked, I think, in the last few years about social purpose. I think the idea of how communications can help companies be better social citizens, that's going to increase, especially with the state of the world today. Uh, I also think 
you know, the impact of technology, we mentioned briefly AI and other, who knows what's going to be coming down next, that our function will need to evolve to really take advantage and or control the next technological innovation. <clears throat> and I think just in general, expanding into continuing to become a better business function that's not quite so wedded in traditional comms, if you will, but, but also looking at other ways we can help businesses, such as training and, and things of that nature. Valerie, are there any areas of contemporary life, particularly in the U.S., where perhaps you might feel that PR has not done its job well? Contemporary life, what could define that for me? What Business, do you, I, what do you mean? politics, the, the country as a whole, uh, where we are as, as a nation today, you know, the role of communications is, is so vital in everything that is done. Sometimes uh, communications isn't always positive. Obviously, uh, often it can be quite negative. I'm not uh, reflecting a political point of view or taking sides, no. but we live in a world of turmoil uh, currently. There are a lot of things going on. Do you think PR could do a better job in bringing people together? Uh, I definitely think so. I think it starts at home, if you will. It starts within your own company. How do you treat your employees? Uh, are you driving towards collaboration and mutual understanding in, in your own house before you kind of go externally? And I think PR can do a better job, and it has been. I mean, it has moved the needle, I think, in helping our companies and clients do the right thing and, when appropriate, to speak out on issues and take a stand for something that could make a difference. I think uh, Starbucks and other companies are, are good examples of companies that have been very vocal but also do things. It's not just about what they say. It's about what they do um, on important issues that can make a difference. Valerie, I've got three more questions for you, and then I'm going to let you go and deal with your clients. <laughs> um, <Okay>. <laughs> and the first of the three questions is, who are your heroes, and who are your your life's mentors? Well, uh, the first answer I have to that question is my father, uh, Victor Di Maria. He was a wonderful man who was a first-generation Italian-American he served four years in the 1st Infantry Division of the Army in World War II and won a bronze star for his service. He taught me so much about integrity, responsibility, being yourself and not being a follower, and really the best ways to live life. Uh, friends of ours said he was a gentleman who was a true gentleman, and I, I really like that, um, and I miss him terribly. My other hero, you're going to perhaps laugh, is a fictitious one, and that is George Bailey from the famous Frank Capra movie, <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life. I just oh, love wow. that character and what he stands for. He was, you know, quote, unquote, an average man who always tried to do the right thing and wound up positively impacting so many individuals. Uh, and the other person I'd like to call out is Michelle Obama. I think she has great integrity. I saw her speak when I was living in Chicago and working for Motorola, and her, her husband was just a senator at the time, and she was so inspirational and such a great role model and so honest. She's just, I, I think she's just a wonderful person. 
Wow, those are those are strong figures and individuals. I particularly like the one from It's a Wonderful Life. You know, <laughs> uh, I watch that scene over and over every year. You know where you know where uh, he's asked to take a look at what the world would have been like had he not been born. Yes. So, <laughs> So I Valerie, well, that, yeah. I use that as a theme for my father's eulogy, to tell you the truth, because it, really? it is it is a story about how just one small, if you will, person can make a difference. I, I just love Got the it. whole sentiment behind that. Yeah. So that leads to question two of my final three questions, and that is, how do you want to be remembered? <laughs> well, let's just say it would be nice to be remembered. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully it's someone who was effective, supportive, uh, a good leader, but even more importantly, loving with family and friends, and also someone who was fun. I never underestimate the importance of fun. And as my dad used to say, life is short, live it up. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's, I love that. I love that. And my final question is, where do you see Valerie Di Maria in the years ahead? Hopefully alive and healthy, uh, but really, who knows? Uh, life is unpredictable, as we've all learned, and I mean that in a positive, exciting way. We never know what's going to be around the corner, and I try and be open to all roads. Uh, for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be doing what I do now. I'm still loving running the 10 company and helping clients and individuals to maximize their potential. Wonderful. Well, Valerie... Our listeners and I thank you so much for your insights, your wisdom, your experience, and your knowledge, and your enthusiasm for what you do, and obviously all of your accomplishments of the past number of years. Uh, I have always followed your career, and you know, your receiving all of those very uh, meritorious awards are certainly a reflection of how you're regarded in our industry. So thank you for being our PR master this week. Well, thank you so much, Art, for the opportunity to share my thoughts with you and with your listeners, and it was truly an honor. And thank you all for joining us for another edition of PR Masters, where you get to hear the inside scoop from our industry's legendary figures. And until next time, this is Art Stevens, and I'm managing partner of the Stevens Group, a firm that facilitates acquisitions in the PR agency digital marketing space. And I'm signing off. Thank you for joining us. Take care, everybody.